Hello and welcome to Filling the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. I'm Lorcan Doherty and today we're talking about Joan Miró. A painter and a sculptor, an anti-fascist and proud Catalan, rooted in the earth and gazing at the stars. On this week's podcast, we're looking at the life and works and the unique imagination of Joan Miró y Ferrà one of the giants of 20th century art. Coming up, we're delighted to be bringing you an interview with Marco Daniel, director of the Miro Foundation here in Barcelona. And I'm joined today by Killian Shields. Hello, Killian. Hey, Larkin. How's it going? It's going very well, thank you. Killian, we were just talking there. Even if you think you don't know Miro, you do, don't you? If you've ever been to Barcelona, you do. Um, some of his biggest works, and I mean big in literally physical dimensions, uh, would be on the Barcelona airport. Literally the exterior wall has, has a huge mural of his. Uh, as well as that, if you've ever strolled down La Rambla, the famous touristy boulevard in the centre of Barcelona, there's a huge sort of mosaic in the in the ground of that, of the pedestrian part in the middle. You might well have walked over it and not realised. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's there. It's Miro staring you in the face. I, I love that. I love, you You know, you you don't have to go to a museum to see the works. You know, they're, they're, this is great, like, public art. There's an absolutely huge one close to Plaza España, which is uh, amazing looking. Yes, it's in a huge park named after him. And there's a huge sculpture called Woman and Bird, uh, which is Quite, quite an interesting piece. Yeah, yeah. it's quite yeah. a phallic-looking structure, <laughs> uh, and it's got all his. It's it's got that kind of mosaic style and the the colors, the reds and the blues and the yellows. And yeah, very very stuff. quintessential Joan Miro, isn't it? Well, well, let's talk about that. And what what does quintessential Joan Miro mean? Yeah, so I, I think like he has a couple of paintings, a couple of style of paintings as well that that are very very identifiable with him and his style of painting. They're very abstract. They're very expressionistic. But he also used figures as well or, or, or familiar objects, you know, that kind of in a way balances the kind of pure abstractionism of them in, in some sense. He did, know? of course. Yeah. I mean, the ladder is one motif that he repeats often in his painting. So this is an idea of sort of a ladder going from the ground up to the sky, always sort of like yearning for a sense of escape, which is another theme that we see very often in his works. Yeah. And the the, the titles of some of his works are, are just... Uh, some of them are absolutely right, amazing, aren't they? There's one called Man and Woman in Front of a Pile of Excrement. And this sort of vulgarity is is quite deliberate. I mean, he's trying to really capture the sense of of the times that he's living in, very turbulent times of the 20th century. But he's also got a completely other, much more lighter side to him as well. I mean, he's got another painting title, which I particularly love, The Beautiful Bird Revealing the Unknown to a Pair of Lovers. And to me, that's just magnificent. Yeah, that is lovely. Okay, let, let's explain a little bit about, you know, you mentioned he grew up in turbulent times. So he was born in Barcelona on the 20th of April 1893. His family lived right in the centre of Barcelona in, in the old town. Uh, interestingly, painting didn't come very easily to Miro. He wasn't like, for example, Picasso, this child prodigy. He really had to work at it. And it's not like he was destined to be an artist from day one, Killian. Uh, far from it. I think his parents discouraged him from indulging in his artistic desires they, they actually wanted him to be an accountant. And I mean, his family came from a very middle class background. They were quite well to do. Um, so there's no ideas of any struggling artist here that, that come with, with Miro. Uh, they, they were well off enough to buy this 
lovely farmhouse uh, at uh, Montrage del Camp down in the south of Catalonia. And that's kind of one of the key places when we talk about... Yeah, this is really central kind of to the the figure of Joan Miro, it's really, really deep in his his identity. He he painted a lot of landscapes from there. One one farm as well, one La Masia, the farm it's, is, is the painting is called. Probably his first, one of his earliest masterpieces. Um, just the level of detail, the combination of real life objects, but also kind of impressionistic, his, his, the use of his own imagination that goes into the work as well. Um, yeah, it's one of his first big, big major works. Yeah, you mentioned his kind of his attention to and his love of details. And actually, I'm going to give you a, a quote here. He said, people only ever look for and paint masses of trees or mountains without listening for the music that pours forth from tiny flowers, blades of grass and little stones by the side of one's path. I mean, listen to that. Maybe he was destined to be an artist. <laughs> well, he didn't. He, say, he said as well, you know, painting is like poetry, you know, so he, he was very yeah, creative and all on all fronts. Well, to learn more, Killian, uh, you went along to the Joan Miro Foundation here in Barcelona, a museum dedicated to the artist, and spoke to its director, Marco Daniel. He was, I think, one of the foremost painters of the of the last century, um, and uh, produced really many, many beautiful paintings based on his experience of uh, the Catalan landscape, of nature around here, but then very quickly went into exploring a more surreal world, uh, a world of imagination. And from that he developed a vocabulary of uh, signs and symbols that are really characteristic. So those are uh, the sun and the moon, the stars, birds, figures, human figures, and so on. And he really liked having things that um, made his viewers look at what there was on the canvas or on the sheet of paper or in a sculpture and to engage their imagination to work out what it is they were seeing. In a lot of his work, there's sort of a motif that appears time and time again about connecting the earth with the world of the gods, connecting the terrestrial with the celestial. One of the uh, many symbols that he explored, in fact, he, uh, when he painted his um, really amazing The Farm in, uh, in 1922, he included amongst the many farm um, tools and elements a ladder. And the ladder for him is uh, this really miraculous instrument. It's such a simple thing, you know, two verticals and the horizontal struts. But for him, it connects the earth with the, with the heavens, with the, with the firmament, with the stars, with the, with the universe. He said at one point quite strikingly um, that you can see the universe reflected in the eyes of an ant. Mentioning the farm there, that was obviously painted in Montrouge, then in the southern area of Catalonia. One lens through which we can explore Joan Miro, his life, his works, is the, the Miro Triangle that's often spoken about the landscapes between Barcelona, Montrouge and Mallorca. What does this triangle mean for the artist and for his work? This is a really important concept in Miro's work, this triangle. Um, Barcelona is the city in which he was born and uh, his uh, family uh, already had connections 
with Mallorca, which were then further consolidated when he married um, Pilar, his wife. She was also from Mallorca. Before that, long before that, it was in Montreux that he really developed this contact with nature, with the, with the tilled fields of this uh, vast open landscape, but also with the beach, which was quite, uh, quite close, with the sea, with the Mediterranean sky, and uh, behind Montreux in uh, the mountains. So it's the landscape of Montreux, the urban experience of Barcelona, avant-garde movements where he had this kind of intellectual contact and Mallorca, the uh, place where he then settled and built uh, a big studio. Those three places together with their different landscapes but always with that sense of Mediterranean culture, those were really uh, key and crucial to him. However, we should not forget that there was also Paris, which was a very, very significant place for him. In fact, in 1918, uh, Miró had his first solo show here in Barcelona, in Galerías del Mau. And it was um, quite a disappointment to him, both critically and commercially. He didn't sell a single work and the critics didn't really understand him. Let's put it like that, politely. Miro was less polite about it. He said, never again Barcelona. And uh, he decided at that point that he wanted to um, go to Paris. He wanted to explore the capital of the international art world. And from that point onwards, very soon after, he began to spend his winters in Paris and his summers in Montreux, these uh, different places that were so significant for, for Miro, for his artistic development. How he felt that Barcelona rejected him and Barcelona never again this obviously changed at some point. You know, he, he changed his mind. Barcelona changed its mind towards him. Yes, that's absolutely true. It used to be a kind of truism of Miro studies that between 1918 and 1968, when he had a very substantial retrospective exhibition, that he did nothing public uh, in Barcelona. And that has um, been shown to be incorrect. Uh, he did a series of exhibitions with a group, the Friends of New Arts, Adlan, in the 1930s, and they were quite small-scale exhibition. Really, in a way, they were pop-ups that took place in galleries or in other spaces, in homes, in bars. These exhibitions as pop-ups really weren't hugely successful uh, from a sales point of view. In terms of the impact that they had on the art scene, everybody talked about them. They were really the kind of the hottest tickets in town. His gallerists in Paris would say to him, Joan, we really need your works. We've got the opening in a, in a few days. Can you please send them to us? And Miro said, I'm just doing these pop-up exhibitions in Barcelona. When that's finished, I'll, I'll get it to you straight away. And so, in that sense, he really uh, did almost the opposite of what he had said in, you know, when he said never again Barcelona. He privileged Barcelona to the extent that he gave previews of his uh, most recent, his latest production before showing them with his uh, dealers in, in Paris. It came to an end precisely 
when the Spanish Civil War started. The Spanish Civil War lasted from 1936 to 1939 and then from that point onwards uh, Franco really kept a very tight lid on creativity and expression. I would really like to explain to you a little bit about this moment in a room we've got just over there. Shall we go there? Well, that's Marco Daniel at the Miro Foundation. We'll come back to that very shortly, Killian. But I thought that was this is a nice moment maybe to just interrupt and uh, as you're moving room, tell us a little bit about the building and the foundation because it's a very interesting space as well as all the art in the walls. Yeah, totally. I mean, you could nearly describe the building itself as a work of art. Uh, it was designed by architect Joseph Juiz Sert, and it, it's a really it's a magnificent building. If you have the chance, I'd really encourage anyone to go visit. But there's long, wide, very tall rooms and hallways. It's got this beautiful garden at the back of it with a lot of Miro's sculptures kind of dotted throughout it as well. So you can kind of, at the end of the whole visit, you can sort of wander through the garden space there in the beautiful setting of the Montjuic Mountains. Of course. Overlooking like the, the city as well. Oh, it's splendid. It, looks, it does look like a sculpture itself. There's loads of light coming in and stuff. It's, it's, um, it's great. I mean, one thing there that uh, came up in your conversation with Marco is this La Masia. And I actually read the story about Hemingway bought this uh, he did, yeah. painting. No one else wanted it, so <laughs> Hemingway got it. And like apparently he traipsed it around Paris and stuff, very proud of himself. But they, they were actually friends, Hemingway and Miro, and kind of two like polar opposites on paper. Like Hemingway, this big macho guy, and Miro was, you know... Uh, very quiet by all accounts and, and gentle you know, soul exactly exactly so just it. but the two of them shared a love of boxing which uh, is fascinating to me just you know yeah they'd have a few bouts together they'd go sparring as well I believe <laughs> I think it'd be a bit of a mismatch if the two of them were in the ring together Hemingway of course very famously wrote about the Spanish Civil War and that's kind of where we're going to pick up again in your interview with Margo here, Killian. Precisely, and this really links in with what I mentioned earlier about the turbulence that Miro experienced in his lifetime. So not only was there the Spanish Civil War, but almost immediately after that, when he had moved to France, World War II broke out. So he lived through this this really violent time in Europe in the middle of the 20th century. Okay, let's go back to the interview then. This is Marco Daniel, director of the Schwann Miro Foundation. Um, at uh, this point that we are talking about now, uh, with the beginning of the Second World War, um, he actually took the really difficult decision not to go to America, where many of his artist friends, intellectuals, and in fact one of his um, commercial uh, gallerists were. And they all invited him, said, come to New York, everybody's in New York now. And he decided not to do that but to go back to, to Spain, to Spain, which was just at the beginning of the long decades of uh, the Franco dictatorship. And that obviously was a, a political regime that he was completely against. He had participated in the pavilion of the Spanish Republic, of the democratically elected left-wing government at the Paris World's Fair in 1937, right in the middle of the civil war, 
all his arts expressed horror at war in general and uh, particularly resistance against uh, Franco. But he nevertheless decided to go back to Spain uh, under cover of night. Some friends uh, smuggled him across the Mediterranean to Mallorca, where his wife's family were based. They were from a well-to-do middle-class family, quite a a boring family, basically, and that was exactly what he needed. For the next few years, he was uh, simply known as Pilar's bloke. Nobody in Mallorca had any idea who he was. He was just Pilar's bloke. And he went about being one of the most amazing international artists, really quite uh, incognito. That then, in the early, mid-1940s, meant that he had uh, successfully kind of escaped the first terrible waves of political repression. And um, he could move again to Barcelona, go to Montrach del Camp, uh, to, to the farmhouse. And in those years, obviously, we have to recognize that Barcelona was in a terrible situation. It had been bombed in the war. There was uh, poverty, destruction, and hunger. People who write about this period talk about it quite simply as if life actually was in black and white in those years. There was no color. It was dark and in black and white. And Miro literally represented that kind of emotional response to a city that was uh, suffering in a really striking series of 50 lithographs that he completed in 1944. Uh, This is called the Barcelona series. We have it behind me here. And it consists of 50 works made really one after the other in a frenzy of creativity in which he depicts uh, figures that are contorted, twisted, that are angry, that are violent, that are suffering. It sounds really quite dark, but actually the impression overall is simply uh, extraordinary and fascinating because he captures that spirit of the city in a way that is uniquely his. And of course, these lithographs are not the only works that Juan Miro created that were severely influenced by the violence that he witnessed in his life. One particular painting that comes to my mind that always sticks with me is, uh, forgive me, I don't remember the name of it right now, but it's a still life, predominantly in black with very acidic-y colours. With an old shoe. Um, this is actually a work that he painted a little bit earlier. This is a work that he painted while he was in, in forced exile in Paris in 1937. But the still love with an old shoe, which is now at uh, MoMA in New York, is a beautiful painting. Um, it literally has an old boot in it, a bottle, uh, a bread roll um, with a fork in it. But the tonalities are absolutely psychedelic. He uses, as you say, a dark um, background and then very, very bright fluorescent psychedelic colors, colors that weren't uh, going to be seen in painting really until about three decades later, until, until you know, the psychedelic 60s. He painted this at the same time as he was working on his huge mural for the Republican Pavilion in Paris, which was called The Reaper. 
not so much a reference to the Grim Reaper, but uh, to the Reaper who's the protagonist of the Catalan national anthem, which is the song of the Reapers, uh, peasants armed with sickles that uh, rose up against uh, foreign occupation of Catalonia in the 18th century. And at the same time as he was working on this, he was also working on the Still Love with an Old Shoe, a work purely inspired by near starvation, by hunger. So Miro was um, balancing really quite different ways of working at uh, the same time. El Segador was obviously a symbol of, of Catalan identity, Catalan nationalism, and particularly in his later life, and particularly towards the end of the Franco dictatorship, we can see this influence of, of his Catalan feeling, his Catalan spirit really coming into his works. I mean, he, he did a lot of works for things like La Caixa. He did a lot of works for, for the uh, Football Club Barcelona, the, the 75th anniversary painting. Can you speak just a little bit about his feelings towards Catalan identity? Yes. I think, um, just to, to clarify, he didn't so much paint for La Caixa as La Caixa bought one of his works and then asked subsequently for permission to use one of the stars as the logo of their, of their bank, which he, which he permitted. But his Catalan roots are really, really uh, key to him. He always thought of himself as a, a Catalan citizen of the world. The connection with this Miro triangle, with Mallorca, Barcelona, Montreux, is hugely important because it uh, allowed him to stay in touch with his Catalan roots, with the cultural traditions of Catalonia specifically, and the Mediterranean cultural space more, more generally. And I think it was also very important for him to, to be a Catalan, uh, not Spanish. He always insisted that his name was Juan Miro, not Juan, the, the um, Spanish version of his name. He did many works in support of Catalan causes, but also of international causes from the Red Cross to, to, to Chile. And uh, he supported really many different uh, activities that um, put forward that kind of view of uh, Catalonia as a proud and independent people. He really uh, thought of himself as uh, somebody who came from Barcelona and uh, whose heart and his feet were in this place. Marco Daniel, that was a fascinating and enlightening conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Killian. A pleasure. Well, his heart and his feet were in this place. They certainly were. Nice hint from Marco there to the fact that Miro often painted barefoot, actually. Miro said that one has to keep one's feet well rooted to the earth so as to then jump high in the air towards the sky. That's a nice sentiment. Killian, about his Catalan identity that you were chatting about there, uh, you know, he, he, he really got involved in kind of all aspects of society here. Very, very much so, yeah. I mean, Juan Miró also did a poster for uh, Salvat Catalá. Now, this was the first encyclopedic dictionary in the Catalan language. Uh, the Catalan language, obviously, which was suppressed during the Franco dictatorship. And this poster campaign was made in 1968. This is really, really nice because it's sort of a play on words. It was published by the, the publisher's editorial, Salvat, um, which is... which is, is their surname or... It's know, a 
surname. And in the Catalan language, it also means, salvat catala will mean save yourself, Catalan. So it's a time when the language really needed preservation. It really needed help. So, I mean, a fascinating life. Miro lived until he was age 90. He died in his home in Palma de Mallorca on Christmas Day, 1983. But his grave, his remains, is in Montjuic Cemetery, which is nice because that's just... Just right around the corner from, from the Fundacio, exactly. exactly. So, you, you know, nice little connection there. Time now for our Catalan phrase. What's it this week, Killian? Yeah, so instead of a phrase, we've actually got a quote from Juan Miro instead. And it's from 1927, so very early in his career. And he said, Yo voy asesinar la pintura. I want to assassinate painting. Essentially, yeah. yeah. I want to kill painting, yeah. <laughs> that's a, a very powerful artistic statement, isn't it? I think it really fits in with his ethos, his attitude towards his artistic work. I mean, he painted, but he, he, he didn't just want to do the same as everyone else. Kind of, that's what I take from it a bit. Yeah, far from it. He wanted to completely rip up the rule book, change the norms. He just wanted to play by his own rules yeah. completely, which yeah. you have to respect that. That's us for today, and in fact, that's going to be me for a little while. I'm taking a wee break from filling the sink in order to attempt to erase a child. Hey! Yes. Uh, going on paternity leave for a few months, so I will be leaving you all in the more than capable hands of Killian here and the rest of the Catalan news team, and our new presenter, Alejandra Angulo Alonso, who you'll have the pleasure of meeting on next week's podcast. That'll be out, as usual, next Saturday. Massive thanks again to Marco Daniel and everyone at the Joan Miro Foundation. Thanks to you, Killian. Thank you, Lorcan. And thanks to you for listening. Until the next time, for me, Lorcan Doherty, and all of us here at Catalan News, bye for now. Adeo.